Hey, this is Lee Snow. I'm the preacher of Orange Springs Road Church of Christ, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for downloading today. I hope it inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it gives you a perspective to see what God wants to do in your life, and I hope it challenges you to a faithful tomorrow. 39. 139. I'll meet you there here in just a second. Psalm 139. Um, in eastern Arkansas, in the middle of a county called Mississippi County, Arkansas has this weird phenomenon where they steal the names from everywhere else. You got Texarkana, Palestine, Jerusalem, Mississippi County, West Memphis. They, they just steal the anyways. Anyway, in eastern Arkansas, there is a county called Mississippi County. In the middle of Mississippi County, there is a city. I'm not going to tell you the name of the city, but it's the most popular, it's the most famous, rather, city in Mississippi County because a famous person lived there for three years. That's it. That's, that's their claim to fame, is that a famous person lived there for three years. Anyways, I preached just down the road. My, my first preaching uh, appointment was, was uh, in Mississippi County, and um, I had always heard the stories about this congregation. They're, they are some of the nicest, most loving Christians I have ever met in my entire life. And, and they, were, they, are, they are so insanely nice and loving and caring and, well, and take care of fellow Christians and everything. But I had heard the stories because my best friend preached over there. And um, I didn't believe it was true. So one time he asked me, do you want to come speak on a Sunday night? And I said, absolutely, I'll, I'll come over there, sure. So I drive to this little bitty city. You turn off the highway and you go, and, and it looks like um, in the middle of a cotton field that there is just a stand of trees that can't be more than four or five acres, but that's the entire city. And so I drive into this little bitty city, and at the end of the road, there's only really one road. There's a couple little offshoots, but there's only one main, main road in this city. I drive down to the end of that city, and there is a church building. I get out of the truck, I walk inside, and we start having service. And, you know, it's good service. They're great singers. The thing about Arkansas is they sing louder than anybody I've ever met. So um, there can be four of them, and they're going to sound like there's 104 of them. Anyways... So the singing's great. We're sitting there. We're having a good worship service. I stand up to preach, and, and, um, and, and I'm, you know, just doing my thing, speaking and all that. And then what I had heard for at least a year before this, while my best friend was preaching there, actually started happening. There, there was this little chirping sound. And I thought, hey, here it comes. It's starting right now. See, this congregation's building was known for being infested with crickets. Okay? That's, the, that's the thing that I had heard about. But what I didn't know was that there was a little boy who had determined that it was his job. See, his dad was, was the song leader. His uncle was, you know, the, the treasurer. You know, there's only about, it's one family, and there's probably ten people at this congregation. So he decided his job was the cricket smasher. So I'm preaching. And this little five-year-old boy gets up with his little cowboy boots on and starts walking around the church building, squishing the crickets so that I can keep preaching. And I thought, 
If people in the big city of Memphis knew what was going on in this little bitty congregation, they would, they would just die. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine you're sitting in a worship service and the crickets start chirping and this little boy takes, I mean, it wasn't soft either. He was determined. Those crickets were not going to make it, okay? And so he was running around just slamming these crickets. The entire worship, I preached for like 45 minutes. And he just, that was, that was, he was doing his thing. A lot of times our worship services are very sanitary, right? I mean, we sit still, we sing. Maybe Gary asks us to stand up. Maybe he doesn't. This morning he didn't, you know. It's always, that's always, we're always on pins and needles. Is he going to ask us to stand up or not? Anyways. But um, I didn't plan on tell you, telling you that story, but something reminded me of it when we were sitting here singing it. And it had something vaguely familiar to do with what we're going to study this morning. But we want our services to be very sanitary because the Bible does say that everything needs to be done decently and in order. But the fact is, in Mississippi County, Arkansas, that is decently and in order. Right? At, at that same time when I was preaching at this same uh, congregation where I was the preacher, um, I took one of my other best friends to one of our members' houses so that we could eat lunch. He had prepared a very nice meal. He had spent days working on barbecuing different types of meat. We had barbecue deer. We had barbecue pig and, and beef and all. I mean, he went all out. And, um, you know, if you haven't got it, Mississippi County is not the most uh, metropolis of areas. Okay. So we sit down at, his name was Zeke. I'll tell you his name because he won't care. We sit down at Zeke's table in his shed because his, his house wasn't big enough to fit all of us. And so he cleaned out his shed so that we could come eat. And he cuts one of the pizza meat. And he takes a knife and he cleans it off on his pants. He, was, he worked in the fertilizer farm or in the fertilizer plant there in Mississippi County. He cleans the knife off and he goes to cut the other piece of meat. And the, the guy who I brought with me was from Las Vegas, which is a little town if you've never heard about it. Um, he looked at me, and I said, just, just eat. Just eat it. Don't say a word. And then we got back in the truck to go home, and he said, you know where Zeke works, right? And I said, yeah, the fertilizer plant. He said, did you see his pants? Yeah, they're caked in fertilizer. Who cares? Haven't you ever heard of Providence before? No. Anyways, so we want, we want things to be sanitary. And our prayer life can, can be very sanitary at times, too. And I, that's one of those times when I strung together a, a story that I wanted to tell y'all with the introduction to our sermon, okay? Over the next month, we're going to study the dangerous prayers in the Old Testament and New Testament. The dangerous prayers, the ones that, that are not the way we think they should be. We, we pray prayers like, bless me, keep me, um, bless this food, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. We use words like thy and thee, thee and thou. And why, why do we do those things? It's because we want, we want there to be some order to things, which is perfectly fine. But when you look in the Bible at the prayers recorded in the Bible, the vast majority of them are not sanitary. They're not, they're not predictable. You know, I asked y'all to sit in different seats today, and some of you did a good job. Others of you didn't. He knows I'm looking at him. Anyways, um, some of y'all did a great job. Others, others didn't. Okay, we'll work on it. We'll work on it. 
But somebody said, well, how do we know if somebody's here if, if we're not sitting in our seats? Y'all are so predictable. You know that? All right, anyways. Our prayers are very predictable most of the time. I mean, if you think about the last 10 prayers that you prayed, hopefully you can remember the last 10 prayers that you prayed. Hopefully it's not been so long since you prayed 10 prayers that that, that, was, that was two months ago and I can't remember that last one, okay? But if you think about the last 10 prayers that you prayed, most likely they are about a person who was sick, about some food you were about to eat, or it was getting to the end of the year, which meant it was getting it to the end of the payroll, and so it was, it was maybe getting a little tight there, right? Those are mostly, we're so predictable. The Bible prayers, they, they aren't like that. Psalm 139 um, is, is one of those non-predictable prayers. Psalm 139. And what I want to do very quickly, I'm going to read this whole prayer, okay? Psalm 139, verse number 1. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty, and I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee to escape your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Sheol is the, the word that the Hebrews used for the grave. Okay, So if I make my bed in the grave, you're there. If I live in the eastern horizon or settle in the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous. I know this very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious your thoughts are to me. How vast your sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. Doesn't that sound great? That, that just, that's so beautiful. I love Psalm 139. Um, we talked about it in Bible class. We, we, we quote it in different times. Sadly, Sometimes it's needed to be quoted when we're talking about our culture and, and how our laws in, in our specific nation allow for horrid things to happen. But it's very, it's very beautiful. However, look at verse number 19. Here's where the prayer, it doesn't get, it's not so sanitary anymore, okay? Verse 19. God, if only you would kill the wicked... You bloodthirsty men, stay away from me, who invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely, Lord. Don't I hate those who hate you and detest those who rebel against you? I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. Verses 19 through 22 aren't, aren't that... They aren't that pretty anymore, are they? 
God, would you please kill the wicked? They, they, keep, they keep swearing by your name, but they don't even have a clue who you are. I hate them, Lord. David, don't you know that you're supposed to love the sinner and hate the sin? David didn't agree. He said, if a person is overcome in sin and willfully sinning, I hate them because, because they're your enemy. I hate them, verse, verse 22, I hate them with extreme hatred. I consider them my enemies. Why? Because they're God's enemies. This prayer that he prays is um, this, this song that he writes that is also a prayer. It's not sanitary. It's not something that we like to think about. When, once it gets to verse 19, that's when it becomes a little dirty. That's when it becomes, it, we, we feel uneasy when we hear a, a David, the man after God's own heart, saying things like, God, would you just kill the wicked already? Would you just wipe the planet of them so that we can get along? Why does he do that? What, what's, what's the benefit of that? Why, why, here's the real question, why is it recorded in Scripture and inspired by God for David to have those feelings against people who may not know the truth. Well, here's the thing. Here's the catch. David's not talking about people who, who may not know the truth. Okay? He's talking about people who have willfully rejected the teachings, the principles, the commandments of God. He's not talking about the people who are just unknowing, or just led astray. He's talking about the people who Verse 20, invoke you deceitfully. Your enemies swear by you falsely. They know what they're doing. Now, at the end of that, he says these words, search me, verse 23, search me, God, know my heart, test, my, uh, test me and know my concerns. See if there's any offensive way in me, lead me in the everlasting way. Those words are the words we're going to talk about uh, this morning as we, we kind of we're going to study those words in the really the three different areas that he talks about. He wants him to search him. He wants God to reveal him his fears, reveal to him his fears. And he wants God to uncover his sins, uncover anything that is, that is unrighteous in the way that he's acting. Those are the ones that get dangerous. Have you ever heard the joke, don't ever, and I saw one of my friends on Facebook the other day do this, don't ever pray for patience. You know why you never pray for patience, right? Because he's, he's not just going to give you patience. This isn't like wisdom and you're not Solomon. If you pray for patience, the way he's going to give it to you is he's going to give you opportunities to learn patience, which is sometimes not that fun, right? Y'all ever gotten through something and thought, man, I'm so patient afterwards? Yeah, but it wasn't that fun when you were in it, was it? No, of course not. Of course not. So these are the dangerous prayers. This is one of them where David knows what he's asking for, and he knows the result, but he also knows that it's not going to be easy getting there. So first, first one is, I want you to search me. Search my heart, verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. David, well, let's just talk about David for a second. David's a man who... Well, I mean, the Bible says that he's a man after God's own heart. And sometimes he was... Sometimes he didn't live up to his nickname very well. Sometimes David was, was a man who was after his own pleasures. 
like in the case of David and Bathsheba. Sometimes David is a man after his own desires, not, not physical pleasures, but his own desires. Do you know that Amos chapter 6 says that one of the ways that the instrument was introduced into the worship of the Old Testament was because David invented it to himself. Now, did God use it for good later on? Yes, but, but the origination of it was, was from David's heart. Why? I don't know why. I don't know everything. We, we're not given everything that goes with that, but sometimes David didn't match up with his nickname. But he is a man who hated sin. When it was shown to him, he hated it. When, even when it was his sin and it was shown to him, he still hated it. He is a man who, when confronted with that sin, is willing to do just about anything it takes to make sure that that sin is forgiven and that he and God are on the right path. If you don't, if you don't believe me, read Psalm, one, or Psalm 51 this week. That's after David and Bathsheba commit that sin and David goes even farther and commits uh, murder on his own friend, one of his best friends, to cover it up. After he's confronted with it and he realizes that it's sin, David's heart really comes out. And isn't it interesting that sometimes a person can be completely overcome in sin and that's not their real person. They've, they've, been, they've been entrapped by something. That's what the New Testament calls sin. It's an entrapment. It's something that, that uh, that's why over and over again in the New Testament we're told that, that there's a, a way to fall away from God and the way that the New Testament writers speak about it most often is in this way called stumbling. Y'all ever tripped? Okay, I'm going to tell you another quick story. Um, one time, uh, the song leader was getting up to to lead singing. That's what a song leader does, is he leads singing. And the song leader was getting up to lead singing, and it wasn't, it wasn't a, a stage like this. It was, it was a stage where the step was like, you know, four inches. And uh, he kind of kicked it. Didn't, didn't really trip all that much, but I kind of chuckled. And then, when I started to get up, and usually I'll say, you know, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 139. If you want to study that, then that's where we'll start. Okay, anyways. I, instead of saying that, what I started to make a little joke about him tripping. And as that joke was coming out of my mouth, I kicked the same place, except I didn't catch myself. I fell flat on my face. My Bible hit me in the face. My Bible hit the ground first, and my face hit the Bible. Stumbling. David is a man who, who had problems with those things, but he was willing to let God search him. He wanted God to know his heart, even though he already knows that God knows his heart. Verse number one, he says, Lord, you searched me, and you know my heart. You know when I sit down. The whole, the whole song is about God knowing David before he ever began. God knowing his, his thoughts. That's the interesting thing. Verse number four. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it, Lord. But he wanted God to continue to search him. Why? 
Because David knew that at some point he was going to stumble. And he knew that if God, if God was willing to take care of him, then that meant that God was going to be willing to teach him by the way that he stumbled. Number two, verse 23, test me and know my concerns. What, okay, I'm going to ask you a question. I don't want you to answer out loud. I just want you to answer to yourself. What makes you anxious? What makes you the most... And I'm not talking about spiders and creepy crawlies. And, you know, if you're, if you're scared of snakes, that's perfectly acceptable. Um, if you're scared of spiders, that's perfectly acceptable. If you're scared of dogs or cats, that's not so acceptable. Anyways, okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what makes you really, truly anxious. Maybe let's talk about faith. Next month, we have... Fishers and Men training course, is, te- is talking to someone make you, make you terrified? Does, does talking to someone about your faith make you terrified? Well, maybe. Chances are, yeah, it probably does make you a little uneasy. David is the ruler of the kingdom of God. What do you think he was scared of? He wanted God to to know his fears. But in the New Testament, Paul, likewise, is is one of the leaders of the kingdom of God. He's not in charge of the kingdom of God, per se, but he is is one that that is leading the church and making sure that the church is, is going the way that God would have them to go. And Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says this, Do not worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any moral excellence or anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Why in Psalm 139 does David say to test me and know my concerns, when so many times in the Bible we're told to not be anxious. Philippians 4 in the New Testament. In in the Old Testament, David has written psalms. Before he writes 139, he's written psalms about how you should not be anxious, how you should put your trust in God. Why does he say, I want you to find my fears? Well, the reason is because of this. Sometimes fears are justified. Being scared of a spider is justified. Keeping in mind that realistically there are only two types of spiders in our area that can do any damage to you that doesn't matter. This morning I was in the shower and I I was washing my hair and I opened my eyes and there was a spider hanging right in front of me and I about lost it because fear of spiders is a real thing and it's not something to be ashamed of, okay? Anyways, it's real. Spiders can kill you, you know that, right? Tarantulas, they don't live around here, but they can still kill you. They can walk. They can move here if they wanted to. Anyways, all right. Sometimes fears are justified. Sometimes fears are justified because we know what may come of a situation. But there are some times when a fear can be sinful. 
sometimes a fear of something that was justified at one time can be sinful. And I can prove it. David says, I want you to search me. I want you to test me. I want you to know my fears or my concerns. And in the same breath, he says, see if there's any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. David is wanting him to, wanting God to take his fears that may be offensive, may be sinful, and give him a way to not be fearful of it anymore. You know how God's going to do that to David? The same way he's going to teach you patience. He's going to put him in the middle of it. Immersion therapy. Right? Sometimes the the thing that we need to be, the thing that we're scared of, the, the way that we need to get out of it is simply put ourselves in it and know that God will take care of the rest. Meaning, meaning, uh, menial tasks like maybe we're scared of, of speaking in public so we lead a song, or we lead a prayer, those, those things. But more deep than that, maybe our fear is that we don't have the ability, men, to lead our family the way God wants us to lead them. So you know the way to fix that? Lead them. When we first got married, I was terrified. I was, I was, listen, I was terrified for multiple things. But the main reason I was terrified was because I knew that now I have a responsibility to make sure that Rebecca gets to heaven. And I thought, great. I'm not even so sure that I can make sure I can get to heaven. How am I supposed to make sure she can too? You just got to do it. And I'm not perfect at it by any means. Don't ask her. She'll, she may... She may tell something I don't want you to know. Anyway, but the, the way to get through fears, David understands, is for God to put us in that fear and to get out of it. And then at the very end, he says, I want you to make sure, not just about fears, not just about his heart, but verse 24, if there's anything offensive in me, if there's any offensive way in me, I want you to lead me in the everlasting way. He's, he's not going to tell us, he's not going to, not going to tell us the right way to turn. He's not going to speak to us and, and, and give us, you know, step-by-step process of how to take care of this issue or how to lead our families or how to, how to be led, ladies, or something like that. He's not going to give us a step-by-step process. What he's going to do is he's going to give you the means by which you need, the means through which, the means by which, whatever, English. I English really well sometimes. He's going to give you the means to take care of it yourself. God is never going to do something for you that you can do for yourself. He only does the things that you can't do. If you can do it yourself, He's not going to do it for you. All He's going to do is lay it out in front of you and make the decision up to you. We talked about it in Bible class this morning. Why did God put those trees in the middle of the Garden of Eden. He set the choice in front of them, said, here's the commandment. What's your choice going to be? He could have easily taken that tree of the knowledge of good and evil out of that garden and put it on the other side of those cherubim that were guarding the door when they left and made it to where there was no way that Adam and Eve could have sinned. 
I mean, if he can create the world, he can do that, right? He can create the tree. He can put the tree wherever he wants. But he didn't. He could have very easily made it to where when Jesus came, he didn't have to die. Why, why, why did God make Christ a little lower than the angels, like the book of Hebrews says, put him on earth, make him live three years, and die at the hands of his, of his creation? Why did, he do, why, did, why did he choose to do it that way? I have no idea. Those Jews still had the choice of what they were going to do about it. And they choose wrong. They chose wrong. David, when he prays this prayer, it's at, it's at the end of this beautiful psalm that, yeah, 19 through 22, we're not so sure how we feel about that, and it makes us pretty uneasy, and we, you know, it makes us question. Sometimes it, it makes us question you know, the, the personality of God. Why, why, why would God allow that to be recorded in Scripture? But I believe the reason why God allowed that to be recorded in Scripture is because he wanted us to know that sometimes our prayers are not perfect. Sometimes sometimes we have vengeance in our heart that is justified. David, David was justified in those thoughts. David's thoughts were true. They do. They, they do invoke him deceitfully. They, they are enemies. They should be our enemies. An enemy of God is an enemy of God's people. They should be. But that's not the end of it. We can't choose what other people do. Back when we had uh, the girls, our, our first placement, um, we were teaching them about different things. and We got to the topic of modesty. And then after that, we went somewhere, Walmart or somewhere in Macon, where there were, there were a group of young teenage girls who were dressed, well, let's just say they didn't get the same lesson that our girls got. Okay? They were dressed immodestly, and that's an understatement. And one of them looked up at me and said, why are they, why are they dressed like that? And I said, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I just, I don't know. And she said, well, we should go make them put some clothes on. And I said, well, somebody should make them put some clothes on. But we can't, we can't determine what they do. We can only determine what we do. And then about six months later, I was mad at something. And she looked at me and said, you can't determine what they do. You can only determine what you do. And I thought, shh, be quiet. Not supposed to listen to me and then pull it back on me. Anyways, it's true. We can't determine what the world does. We can't make them follow God. We can only teach them. But what we can do is we can pray that prayer that David prayed. Search me. Know my heart. Know my fears. If there's anything that, that's offensive, if there's any offensive way, I want you to lead me in the way of everlasting way. I want you to lead me in the everlasting way. There are plenty of ways in the world that are not everlasting, that, that sound good right now, they fit what we want, but it's just not true, and it's not everlasting. We can't determine what other people do. That's why David puts it in his hands. When he prays that uncomfortable part in verse 19 through 22, he's not saying, I'm going to do it. He's going to say, God, why don't you do this? You handle that. It's in your court. I'm going to deal with me, and I want you to deal with me. If you need to become a Christian this morning, we're going to stand. 
and sing a song of encouragement. And if you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins, listen, I wish, I wish I could do it for you. I really do. Um, I wish that we could just line up and y'all could baptize me 150,000 times. It'd be great. But I can't do it for you. The only person that can make that decision is you. And if you're willing to repent of your sins and confess Jesus Christ, you can make that decision. But it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be perfect all the time. And sometimes you're going to stumble. And sometimes God is going to have to teach you by immersion therapy. And if you're a Christian, just know that he will teach you by immersion therapy. Sometimes that's a scary thing. If you need to repent of sins... We're going to stand, and this song is for you as well. Gary's going to lead us in this song, and you can let us know while we do that.